Hey, 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 everybody. Happy hump day. You know what that means when we have a hump day out there. It is another episode of Smart Money Moves with Helena. And I am so very, very excited, as I always am. I have an amazing special guest today that I'm going to introduce to you all out there listening in and listening later. We got a lot to discuss in this real estate world, but let me get right into my special guest. Her name is Miss Latrice Varge. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is committed to serving her clients' needs, whether they are first-time homebuyers, sellers, investors, or commercial clientele. Her commitment to service is definitely number one. She has over 20 years of experience in corporate America, and that allows her to have the ability to navigate and manage the complexities of multiple real estate transactions, ensuring that the ball is never dropped. And we know that's important. Latrice Barge became a licensed real estate professional in 2019, and she definitely hit the ground running, starting her own group, the Langley Stone Group with Keller Williams Beverly Hills. She is also a real estate broker with Century 21 all the way on the East Coast in North Carolina, and she serves the Charlotte metro area. Since becoming a licensed professional, she has served over 50 families with securing property and in a, it is a, excuse me, certified luxury home marketing specialist. And I've seen a lot of those properties. Luxury it is indeed. Latrice has accelerated to the top of the industry and now gives back by training and mentoring other real estate professionals. Her professional affiliations include the Agent Leadership Council for the KW Keller Williams Beverly Hills Market Center, First VP for the Women's Council of Realtors Foothill West Chapter, Board of Directors for a Consolidated Board of Realtors, and we'll talk about Realtors, and Young Realtors Division of Los Angeles, where I partner with this young lady on that board as well. So come on in here, my darling. Say hello to the people. Give them a little bit more about you. And we're going to jump into some things. I got a lot I want to talk about today. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on of today. Course. I'm super excited. Thank you so much. Um, uh, you know, you're just amazing and I just absolutely adore you. So thank you so much for uh, having me on today. Um, well, I mean, I feel like you pretty much summed it all up for me. I did my research. I did my research. We good girlfriends, <laughs> but I was like, I got to bring her in proper. So I am excited for you. Thank I'm you. excited. I need to talk about the part that you got amazing children. You run a household. You do the traveling thing, but we can get into that as we go. You have anything you want to start off sharing with us before I jump into things? Uh, you know what? No, I think you pretty much covered all. I, you know, I will say that I am a mom of six. Uh, mm-hmm. just sent off one of my babies to Texas Southern University. Um, super excited about that, that journey for him. Super proud of him, obviously. Uh, my, my oldest is 23. My youngest is five. So I, I run the gamut when it comes to momming out here in these real estate streets. Uh, but I'm I like, I can count. Yeah. That's 18 years of having children. Okay. You can have that. So, so we just, we just reminding people of what it is. Copy. Okay. Yes, that is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So let's talk to these listeners out here. So you guys, I have a huge um, uh, campaign and theme that I am working with with a lot of my real estate professionals in 2023. Um, You'll be hearing from a lot more of them. So I'm very excited about that and all aspects of that industry. But what the model is in 2023 for me is to build wealth 
protect wealth and preserve wealth. Okay, those three things you'll be getting a lot of different conversations. We'll be having a lot of those conversations based around that. And we know there are multiple ways to build wealth and real estate is one of the very, very big ones. Right. But it does no good to have it and not protect it. And that goes for any asset that you have. And most importantly, and this is a statistic that I heard, is to make sure you preserve wealth. So at a conference and doing a lot of, you know, collaborating, which is also the theme of 2023 for me in business, um, at a conference doing some, uh, having some collaboration moments with people, there was a statistic that said, I believe in California, 68% of black homeowners do not have a proper trust. Mm. Okay. So we're buying up the block, right? Buying back the block is what we're doing. But we don't have the protection in place. So if something happens to us and we can't afford to pay the mortgage or we pass away before we finished it and we don't have a proper living trust, how are we going to keep that going? So those are just some of the things that are floating around out there in the earl, uh, in the air. Um, Latrice, you have any thoughts about any of those things? Oh, 100%. So one of the things that I absolutely talk to all of my clients about, especially because I specialize in working with uh, first-time buyers. And so um, oftentimes the conversation does lead to once we've acquired this piece of property, how, what are we going to do? What protective measures are we going to implement to ensure that it's protected? Because what I have seen happen in this industry in the last, you know, three and a half, four years that I've been licensed is that a lot of, a lot of people that own property do not have a trust in place. And so what happens is if they pass away and there's an untimely passing, or perhaps they've lived a full life and they pass away, their property will go into probate. Mm-hmm. And a lot, oftentimes when a property goes into probate, a, a family is, is forced to sell the property. Um, and there are a lot of fees, legal fees that come out of the sell of the proceeds, you know, the proceeds from the sell of their property. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just unfortunate because oftentimes families would love to keep a property. And mm-hmm. so I just, it is a conversation I have with all of my clients, getting them connected with the right resources so that they protect and preserve what they've acquired. You know, it's, and it's not a, it's not always, um, it's not always a conversation that clients are comfortable with because a lot of times they don't know like, well, what is a trust? What do you mean put it in a trust? What is that? You know, where do I start? How much does it cost? You know, all of those questions. And I think for some people, there's a barrier because there is a cost. It's Mm -hmm. a pretty significant cost to get the ball rolling. But when you look at it, like this now protects whatever assets I have moving forward, then it's well worth that initial investment. One thing that I see working with a lot of clients as well, right? And, you know, the protecting of the wealth is very important to me in my line of work, being um, a, a life insurance and annuity strategist. It's very, very important for me to make sure that people understand how simple it can be to do that preservation part. But I've also found in working with a lot of people with their financial situation is that that happens to be one of the only assets that a lot of families actually have and are able to leave behind. So we've worked as hard as we've worked. We've gotten to the, the home ownership. We, like you said, short time or long time, but to not be able to keep the one thing that you considered an asset is, it really hurts my heart. 
And it doesn't have to be. And I, I was in that boat because I have a lot of, you know, professionals, as I know you collaborate with as well, that do the living uh, wills and trusts. And it can be definitely an expensive burden, but not having it is even more expensive. But there's also ways just to do the basics to protect yourself. You can have a notarized document discussing where you want your stuff to go, which represent, you know, is represented by a will or you can have your health uh, uh, care profession professional tell you exactly or give a note to them exactly how you want your life to be taken care of if those end of measures come around, right? They all have their forms on, on file. You can right. have a power of attorney document drawn up. So we can still do the pieces of the living will and trust, but to be left without it, oh, it bothers me, bothers me, bothers me, bothers me. But I want to talk about how we're going to get those properties. Right. So I definitely, you know, always have some guiding questions, especially with what's happening out there in the real estate world. Um, so one of the things I want to start with is if someone is interested, which we know we have a lot of people that are interested in not just uh, properties, but also investment properties. But I want to focus on the people who, like you said, first time home buyers is a very, very big part of your clientele. So if someone is interested in buying a home, what are the necessary steps um, that there are for them to take so that they can work on that? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, so the first step really would be to get connected with a real estate professional, right? Mm -hmm. Once you're connected with a, a real estate professional, and let me just preface that by saying that my, in my opinion, I tell all of my clients that I think it's a good idea to interview two or three agents. I like Reason that. Being is because oftentimes you'll find that there are personality differences, right? When I first got into this industry, I was so focused on like, you know, I want to bring the most value, provide the best service. Um, everyone should work with me, right? But I may not be a good fit for everyone and everyone may not be a good fit for me. So yeah. I've learned that what's for me is for me and what's for them is for them, right? So I do think it's really important that you first interview um, your real estate professionals to find out, are they, are, are they in alignment with what your goals are? Are they, are, do, they, do they have the patience? What is their communication style like? All of those things are really important because when you do choose your real estate professional, you are going to go on a journey with them. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. So oftentimes you'll be doing, you know, you'll be having multiple phone calls. You'll have multiple meetings with them. And it could be anywhere from, you know, eight weeks up to several months that you're working with this real estate professional. So I think alignment is extremely important in selecting the person that you're going to work with. That's really Once, important. Yeah. yeah. Once you've identified the professional that you're choosing to work with, I, the next step is, you know, if you decide to work with me, I get you connected with a with uh, with a lender, right? Mm -hmm. And I work with a, a broker that is um, licensed with multiple banks. So I just think that they bring the utmost value to my clients. So that's that's who I particularly partner with. But you know, you can you can also get multiple. Um, multiple quotes, if you will, to see what rates different provider, different lenders will provide. So mm -hmm. a mortgage broker will shop around and get you the best possible rate, but you can go to your credit union. You can also go to a bank to get, um, if you already have a banking relationship okay. with either a credit union or, or a financial institution, that's also an option for you. Um, now I'm, I'm a, I'm gonna jump in here real quick because you said a word, right? And I want you to put it, put a thumbtack right in there. Make sure we get back to that list, right? <laughs> but, um, you said rates and that is a really, really big deal right now because the one thing is constantly being spoken of is rates, 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 rates. They're high, they're high, they're high. 
right? Is this even a time for people to think about purchasing with the rates as high as they are? Absolutely, it's a time. So here's my here's my thing. I say this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you, you may have heard it before. You know, mm-hmm. date the rate, marry the house, right? Yes, and yes. a lot of people they don't. I don't know if it's necessarily their favorite term, but the reality of the situation is, when we say that rates are high, they're high in comparison to the last couple of years. Okay. But when we look at rates historically over the last twenty years, they're not high because there was a mm-hmm. time within the last 20 years that rates were over 17 and 18%, right? So if we were having the conversation today about a 17% interest rate, that would be extremely high considering that property values have increased, right? Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. provided, you know, back then properties weren't as expensive to invest Mm -hmm. in. So that obviously would make a huge impact. Um, And are rates up right now? Yes, they're up, but are they high? I don't think that they're high. And I think when we talk about, you know, them being high, it's, it's everyone comparing it to what they've been in the last, you know, 24 to 36 months, we've seen rates dip down into like the low 2% high ones, right? Yeah. So yeah, when everybody went out refined. <laughs> 100%, right? I like, and, and you know what, to be honest, not everybody, uh, you know, some people miss the mark on that refi, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. yeah, you're absolutely correct. It, I think that, um, Anytime you have the idea that you want to invest in real estate is the time to purchase. Because if you purchase now and rates are up, right, rates are higher than they traditionally have been in the last 24 months, um, you are, um, I'm sorry, I just lost my whole train of thought. No worries. With rates, you said with rates being right high, I think you said rate, date the rate and marry the house. Yeah. That so is with correct. So right buy now. the house now, right? At like, let's just say 600,000 today. That same house three years from now is not going to be 600,000. And we don't know what the rates are going to be three years from now, right? Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that between now and the next three years, you'll build enough equity to where you could perhaps refinance and buy the rate down. Um, there are so many different options that are available to you once you get into purchasing. But now, if you are thinking about purchasing, is the time to purchase. Yeah, one of the things that and I totally agree with that, one of the things that I often hear in communication with real estate professionals or people, you know, looking to purchase homes, which, you know, and helping people set their financial goals, purchasing a home is usually on somebody's list somewhere, right? So we have these conversations often, but when it comes to that, um, people typically have an opportunity, and this is just what I've seen in the past, they have an opportunity to uh, uh, change that rate for a better rate within, like you said, that amount of years, right? So they're putting their self, themselves where they want to be in the house that they want to have, um, but they are not locked into that rate forever. So there is a chance and an often chance that they're able to lower that. So that makes total sense to me. Now, when I look at it, right, one thing that I tell people is if the rates were down, right, what they were in the last couple of years, right, 24 months, as you said, how many more people are going to be overbidding on that house? 100%. So that's another, <laughs> so exactly. So that's another challenge too, yeah. because there was, um, you know, a superficial inflation on the prices of homes, right? Because there were so mar- many buyers flooding the market due to the rates being so affordable or so low. Um, that, that just really created multiple bid situations. So you have buyers that are purchasing homes that really aren't in a position to sell their property for several years because they paid more than what it was actually worth, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and something else I just want to touch on too is with rates being where they are, there you still have options as a buyer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we are now in what's considered to be a buyer's market. Buyers have a little bit more leverage and control on how we negotiate on their behalf. Sometimes okay. I see sellers willing to issue a credit that will help the buyer buy down their rate. So just because rates are up doesn't mean that you are absolutely pigeonholed to what the, the par rate is. Um, other things that kind of impact your rate are would be your credit. So when your credit is, when you have a stronger credit profile, you qualify for the best possible interest rate. That mm-hmm. coupled with a seller credit, possibly uh, coupled with a, a credit from your agent or a credit from your lender, all of those things can help buy your rate down and make your payment much more affordable, thereby making you a bit more comfortable in this particular season. But there are options. And so I don't like when people when people say, oh, I don't know, because rates are up. Well, I mean, we don't know what they're going to be. I can't tell the future. But what I do know is that property is going to continue to appreciate in value, yes. right? So the same property today that's worth that 600000 is not going to be worth 600000 in a couple of years. So that, for certain, we do know. And you keep saying six hundred thousand, and I'm like, where in LA is there anything <laughs> for six hundred thousand? Okay, now, okay. I know we got folks listening all across the country, but I just keep every time you say, I'm like, she can just go and say one point two. Like you, oh, okay, you got so one bedroom. I'm just going with a comfortable number for people, but yes, I mean, in Los Angeles County, you're definitely closer to the million dollar mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are there are a substantial amount of properties that are uh, on the market and that are available in the 700s. There are some in 600, but you'd have to move a bit further out from the metropolitan Los Angeles area. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, I'm going to let you get back to that thumbtack because you mm-hmm. were giving us the list of things uh-huh. that people need to do to purchase their home. So your first one, which I never even thought about it from that perspective, but it's the same thing in the industry that I'm in, is that you really have to want to work with that person. Yes. So taking the opportunity to vet a few different people should be um, what everyone does. I really like that point. So what's the next step in preparation? In preparation, so once you've you've worked, you've identified who your uh, real estate professional is, then you're definitely going to get that professional should get you connected with a um, with a lender so that you can get pre-approved. Okay? okay, and then once you have your pre-approval in hand and you've connected with your real estate professional, that professional should map out a plan for you on. Okay, here's where you're pre-approved at, and oftentimes, let me just elaborate on that a little bit. If you're working with a really good professional um, in the lending space and on the real estate side, they're partnering with one another to ensure that you have a successful in, which is keys in hand in home ownership, right? Okay. Um, oftentimes, though, the conversation will be, oh, I'm pre-approved um, because we get pre-approved on our um on our gross income. And everybody knows that we don't bring home our gross income. There's net income, right? Because taxes come out. We have other things that come out of our um out of our our paychecks, right? And so I always like to ensure that my client feels comfortable with the payment. Where do you want to be on a monthly basis? And then we talk about what that number is and then where are you stretched just a little bit? Because oftentimes you're going to be stretched to get to become a homeowner. It's not something that you're going to be so comfortable with and that payment is going to make you super happy and you're going to feel great about it. 
there are that you're going to be stretched a little bit, but I don't want you to be uncomfortable. I don't want you to be in a position where you can't enjoy the creature comforts of life, because what's the point of going home or going to get up, getting up and going to work every day just to be um, just to pay a mortgage. They call that being house poor. And I don't want my clients to be house poor. So it is important that we talk about we have the discussion about where do you want to be on a monthly basis in terms of your payment, because your pre-approval amount and where you feel comfortable, those numbers could be different. So once we've identified that, then we kind of talk about what do you want in your in your first home? And we go out shopping. And once we find that property, then we submit an offer. And then that's where my expertise comes in. Um, I negotiate terms on your behalf. I ensure that escrow runs smoothly. We talk about the buyer doing their due diligence, completing inspections and things of that nature. And then once we're done with all of that, that's when the buyer brings their money to the table and we get to sign documents and then keys go in hand. And you said typically that can be between like eight weeks and a few months. So it really just depends on where the buyer is in their particular journey. Because I work with buyers that say, hey, one day I want to become a homeowner. And so I'll work with them to get them ready. Maybe their credit profile is not ready or, you know, there are a multitude of things that that could be the, the case. Um but in general, if I'm working with a buyer that <clears throat> is ready to go and they have a, they we're ready to get pre-approved, that process can be anywhere from eight to 12 weeks, just depending on, you know, what the inventory is looking like at the time, what their purchase price amount is, where they feel comfortable, what their timeline is, or various, um, there are so many variables that impact their timeline. That makes sense. I understand. So let me ask you a question. I'm a money girl, right? Mm-hmm. So how much does, you have to have some, things safe, right? I, I don't, I, I've been told by other professionals that there is no such thing as zero down, right? So <laughs> what amount, do you agree with that? Yeah, you know, there's some truth to that, yeah. Okay, got it. So what amount or what percentage should a person have saved? And I know it probably depends on their whole, pro, you know, profile, but uh-huh. is there just a rule of thumb that you tell people to be prepared to bring to the table? Um, so generally I say about 5%, like overall, I would say 5%, but it really just depends on the, the buyer's, um, choice of financing, right? So we have, you have the option to use FHA financing Mm -hmm. and most buyers that are, that's the federal housing administration. They provide financing. And so, um, they, Typically, you'll see down payments required a minimum of three and a half percent, but it could be five percent as well. Right. Um, And so with and then we also have conventional financing Um, and conventional financing is um, that usually starts at about five percent. And it goes, it can go anywhere up to, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 percent. It just really, again, it just depends on where the buyer feels comfortable, how much proceeds they have to bring to the table. Um, and then we have your VA, you know, for vets. Okay. And that is actually, they can come in with no money down. However, <laughs> they do have <laughs> closing costs and they have buyer due diligence that they're still responsible for. So, when we say that, um, you know, we're so um, indebted to them for serving our country. I think it's amazing, you know, for veterans that are, you know, out there. And And so absolutely appreciate the value that they bring. So that, that option is available to them, but there are, there's, they still need to come to the table with some cash because there are some closing costs that they're responsible for. They, they do have to pay for, you know, their appraisal and for inspections. And, and so they will have some money that they do need to bring to the table. And then you have your, um, what we call non-QM or other products that are non-traditional financing. And so 
Um, with those, you can, it can be anywhere between, um, like 20%, 15 to 30% down. I mean, there's a, for instance, there's a um, particular program that's called the, um, DSCR, which is the debt service ratio program. And it allows a buyer to qualify for a property based on the income that that property produces. And they just have to come in with their own, um, down payment of usually 15 to 25%. And then, and that's how the property qualifies. So there's so many variables. Um, there's not like one specific answer. Just wanted mm-hmm. to give you kind of like an idea of. No, that. no, I appreciate that. I just not always hear, oh, no money down, no money down. But everybody I talk to who's in the industry and actually the professionals, like that's not true. And like you said, at least for the closing costs, you still have to have something to put down or to use in the purchase of a home. So I totally get that. That makes sense. 100%. Um, there and there I also want to say that there are there are also um down payment assistance programs because a lot of people say, well what about that? There are down payment assistance programs, but to your point, you still do have to cover a lot of your closing costs. You still have to you're still responsible for the buyer's due diligence, which would be appraisal, home inspections, and things of that nature. So nothing is truly a hundred percent at no cost to you. There is you do have to have some skin in the game. Got it. Which, hey, I say that all the time, right? Yeah. Um, one thing uh, along with that, because I know, you know, a part of what I focus on is saving in different ways that people can accumulate assets, right? So we got to build the wealth. Real estate is one of them other ways to be able to do so. What are some of the things that people can use to actually um, use as a down payment? Because I think a lot of people think that it has to be liquid money and liquid money only, meaning in the bank. Um, But there's other assets that people can utilize, right, when it comes to uh, having the funds for the down payment. Oh, so, yeah, they absolutely, um, they can utilize their 401k. Okay. Utilize uh, life insurance. Okay. Okay. They can utilize um, equity from another property. So there Mm -hmm. are... There are, I'm so sorry. I don't know why someone continues to call me and I have my phone <laughs> not disturbed. I'm not sure what's going on with life, but go ahead. Life is life. <laughs> not yes. a problem at all. Um, yeah. When you, when you say that, and I, and I, I'd like to hear that from the real estate professional because your assets, which are, you know, anything that is generating you interest, right? Um, are your assets very small interest, big interest or whatnot. They are things that can be utilized, right? I know I had a, a good friend of mine just purchased a property and he was able to utilize some of his retirement accounts to do further investing that he expects to do a return for him, you know, on the back end anyway. And one thing I know with my specialty in life insurance, people are able to set up their um, their life insurance plan so that they get some leverage in order to put down as, you know, uh, money on the, 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 uh, investment, right? So just having that opportunity is very, very important. But yeah, re- retirement accounts, make sure you, you know, due diligence and looking at those, your life insurances and, you know, liquid cash as well. So I like that. People have options. They have options. So another question that I have for you is, <clears throat> Uh, being the professional that you are, what are some pieces of advice that you would have for people um, for things to avoid when they're considering, you know, purchasing? Oh, some of the things that they should avoid. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we have this conversation all the time. This is a part of my buyer's consultation that I that I really try to reinforce the very first thing I would say is do not, I repeat, do not go out and buy 
anything like a car, like furniture. I've had people say, oh, I was going to go and put some, some things on my credit. No, don't do, don't make any changes to your credit profile when you are in the process of purchasing. That okay. is like a number one no-no. Um, don't rack up any new debt. Don't do anything that's going to impact negatively impact your credit score. Don't, you know, don't go acquire new collection accounts. Um, don't make any modifications to your employment or your job because mm. I've had, I've had someone, I was an escrow before and I had a buyer modify his work schedule and his income was thereby reduced. And we had to wait another two week period for him to catch up and make up the difference in hours because it impacted his income negatively. Mm -hmm. Um, And so any modifications to your employment, your job, anything that you're doing financially, you just want to put a pin in it. You don't want to do anything that can negatively impact you. And oftentimes people aren't thinking about that. They're like, oh, I'll just go and, you know, buy, especially around Christmas time. I had a, I had a buyer, (laughs) her husband told her, do not do any shopping for Christmas. And she said, okay, I won't. And so she, we were, were like two days from closing and right before, a lot of buyers don't know this, but right before we go to close, they run your credit one more time just to make sure that there hasn't been anything that's hit your credit. Oh, and wow. you can be an escrow, but anywhere between 21 to, you know, 45 days, sometimes 60 days, a lot can change. A lot can be impacted during that time period. Right. And so we were in escrow and this woman put, um, Christmas presents and and whatnot on her card. Two days before close. And it and it impacted her credit score and they were not going to be able to qualify. So we had to expeditiously make sure we got that amount paid down. We had to provide a letter of explanation to the underwriter because the underwriter was like, nope, this isn't happening. And we were like, yes, it is happening. Um, wow. And then we had to do what's called a rapid rescore for that client. Um, again, you don't want to add any, being an escrow is already a stressful process, yes. especially if it's your very first time. So you don't want to do anything that's going to adversely impact you during that process. And my job as your professional is to have the conversation with you, have the hard conversation and remind you, like, let's not do that. When you close escrow and, and that's after you get keys, once okay. it's recorded, <laughs> right? Once I hand you the keys, it's been officially recorded with the, with the county. We can go buy all the furniture that you want. I, you know, go ahead, charge it up. I don't advise that. Yeah. But if that's what you want to do, that's when you do it. You don't do it while you're in escrow. Okay. So you keep saying escrow. Tell us, you know, for those out there who don't know exactly what is escrow? What is that process? Well, escrow here in the state of California. So escrow can be different for different, um, for different states. But here okay. in the state of California, escrow is a third party company that, um, that just basically makes sure that both sides of the transaction, the buyer and the seller adhere to the contract terms. Right. Okay. It was okay. a contract, which is the RPA in the state of California. It's a residential purchase contract. And the both the buyer and the seller, they both sign off on that. And they okay. they they are stating that they're going to, you know, the property is going to be sold for X amount of dollars. The escrow is going to be X amount of days. The interest rate is going to be X amount percent. Um, maybe the buyer's requesting the seller to do, to give certain credits. Maybe the seller's requesting for the buyer to pay for certain things. That document is a legally binding document that the escrow company uses to ensure that all parties adhere to what they're supposed to do. Okay. Okay. Got it. So third party. So, 
<clears throat> speaking of, you know, challenges and things to pay attention to, what do you find in your experience over these last few years is one of the biggest challenges that you see for people who are looking to purchase property? You know what? Sometimes I, I would say oftentimes it's the buyer themselves. It's like the buyer getting out of their own way. Okay. You know okay. what I mean? So mentally, a lot of the buyers that I work with will say, I don't know if I can be a homeowner. I don't know if that possibility is available to me. Um, and a lot of it's just because maybe no one in their in their family owns property. Maybe they yeah. haven't seen it. A lot of times there's a misconception that it's too expensive to buy property. Mm -hmm. And so they hear rumors or they hear people talking and they're like, oh, I can't do that. Right. Um, sometimes they're credit challenges. But just because you have a credit challenge doesn't mean that you're denied. It just means that there may be a delay while we work on things to put you in a position to afford to purchase your property. And if I'm honest with you, here in the state of California, anyone who is renting property right now, for the most part, should be able to afford to buy. Now, yeah. you might not be able to afford to buy in Los Angeles County or the metro area. Yeah. Yeah. But you definitely can become a homeowner of some sort if you are willing to go out a little further. Okay. that I mean, It makes sense. I, I think in a lot of things in life, when it comes to building wealth, when it comes to be, building a better you, period, it's us in our own way. So I totally, you know, see that happening in life uh, on a regular basis. I like that opinion. Um, so what what's one strategy that you advise your clients of when helping them to build their real estate portfolio? What advice would you give? Oh, so the very first thing that I tell all my clients, the very, very first thing is I want you to consider when you're purchasing this property that this is your first investment property. And they always look at me perplexed, like, what do you mean? And I say, because that's what this is. I'm here to help you build your real estate portfolio. Now, okay. there are some clients that I work with that are a little bit more mature in age, and maybe this is the only property that they're going to buy. So then where maybe the conversation is a little bit different, but I do work with a lot of younger families. And so I let them know, like, we're going to start with this property with the end in mind. So this mm -hmm. is going to be your very first property is going to eventually become your investment property, your income property. And later on in life, you'll be able to get mailbox checks from this property. So think about it like that, because in three to five years, you can build up enough equity. You take the equity from, from that property and you put a tenant in that property, rent that tent, rent that property out for market value. And now you take the equity that you have and you go buy your step up property. The income that you're collecting from the rent on that first property, the lender will give you about a 75% credit to help you qualify for the step up property. So now you've got 75% credit for the, the new property. You've got, you know, the idea is that you'll continue to increase your income over the years, right? So now you're making more money in your profession from the time that you initially Hopefully. purchased your property. Hopefully, <laughs> and it's not right? all going away to inflation. <laughs> it's not, you know, so it's not, that's not always the case, but mm -hmm. oftentimes it is. That's kind of the idea, right? And then, and, and the other thing is you'll have, you should in about three to five years have enough equity to take some, some of the equity from your property to purchase that step of property. So I'm a first time home buyer. I shouldn't expect to get everything I want in the house. <laughs> Cause I think that could be a problem for a lot of people that I, I remember when I purchased my first home, this is over 10 years ago. And I thought I wanted every single thing, right? I want this, 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 this. And the market was really good 10 plus years ago. But I remember my real estate professional was like, honey, and it wasn't even this conversation about we're going to step up later. It was like, be realistic. 
So do you advise your clients on that? Do you get a lot of pushback from that? Is that something that's easily received? Like you can't have everything at the beginning. So um, is it easily received? No. Okay. Okay. That's the reality. But you know what I do? I really try to um, infuse a little bit of my story in when I'm working with my clients. Um, I am originally from Pasadena, which is um, relatively... Yes, it's my favorite too. <laughs> my favorite city in um, the United States of America. Yes, girl, it's it's amazing, right? Um, so I'm from Pasadena, and you know, I wanted to buy in Pasadena because Pasadena. Who wouldn't want to buy in Pasadena? Exactly. It's amazing. Line streets, so oh, it's wide, it's, 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 it's amazing, right? Well, the way my checking account was set up. <laughs> Um, you know, it just wasn't affordable at that time. Okay. And so I had to have the conversation with myself and say, Hey, is the goal home home ownership or is the goal to just live in Pasadena? Because if the goal is home ownership, then maybe I need to modify my wants in this season so that I can have what I want later. Right. And so um, we made the decision to make the trek out to the Inland Empire. And I used to, there was a time that I said I had never lived past mm. the 57 freeway, right? <laughs> Which is, that was just like 10 For those of you out me. there listening, not from Southern California, <laughs> that is, may it may be 10 miles, but it could be 10 hours of traffic. Yes, so. yes it's it's extremely, it's a, it's a bit of a trek. Um, nonetheless, I think that the decision that was made um, about seven years ago was to come all the way out to the Inland Empire and um, uh, was to come out to the Inland Empire. And that is about an hour, it's about a 52 minute drive with no traffic, okay? Mm-hmm. And at that time, there were not many houses where I, where we currently live. Mm-hmm. Um, and we purchased in a new, new home, uh, community. Okay. We purchased our property for $362,000. Nice. Today, this property is worth well over 600000 Nice. That's where you yeah. get that 600000 number. Cause you yeah. out in the IE. That's where you get the number from, right? And so, um, with that, with the, um, the appreciation and the equity that we now have in this property could take that and decide to take go and purchase a step up property. Okay. But had I not made that choice and that investment seven years ago, I could have let the barriers of, Oh, this is not where I want to live. It doesn't have everything I want. I had to make some concessions in my wants in that season so that I could have what I really wanted in a later season. And I'm so grateful that I did that. And so when I tell my clients that and I kind of infuse my personal story, they understand that, oh, this isn't a woman that's just telling me you should do this because I want to get a check from you. You, as I oh, say, you should do like this because I myself did it. I'm telling you what I did. I had to work on my credit. I wasn't, I wanted to be a homeowner. And so the the journey was not home. It was not the idea of home ownership and then bam, I went and got keys. No, mm-hmm. I had to put in some work. I had to work yeah. on my credit. My credit profile was was not healthy. I'll just say that. <laughs> I <Okay>. like that. <laughs> it was quite impaired. Um <laughs> and so I had to work 16 months diligently on the credit. Now we had a goal of of accomplishing that within 24 months, but we were able to accomplish the dream within 16. And mm-hmm. so when I have this conversation with my clients, they are always empowered because they're like, oh, if she did it, then I can do it too. Because I'm telling you, I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like y'all. That's There's right. nothing special about me. I just had an idea. I stuck with the plan and I executed. And now I'm in a position where I can do, I can kind of move about the cabin freely if I choose to. 
I, I really appreciate that, uh, that the question that you, you know, pose to your people. What is the end goal? I think that has to be discussed anytime anyone is trying to build wealth, right? You, Absolutely. you made it very, very clear. Is the goal to be in that city where you can stay renting forever if you choose? <laughs> Or is it to be a homeowner? That's, that's a real, I, I love how that's put. I know I have a, a good girlfriend of mine who was talking about, you know, they're in the process of, of getting ready to do some home purchasing or at least making their profile better for that. Um, and one of the questions I was like, no, I don't want you to move out to the boonies. That's not convenient for me. But <laughs> if it goes back to the goal is home ownership, then yes, being willing to make the sacrifices and put yourself in a position to to get into that goal. I think that's very important. I really like that. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I want to transition a little bit now and I'm going to get back to this side of things. Okay. But I want to transition a little now to the real estate profession. I know you said that you are training people in the real estate world, right? What advice would you give to people who are interested in getting into real estate as a profession? What advice would I give to people that want to become a real estate professional? Um, I would say that you should do it, okay? I absolutely love this industry. I love this business. I'm extremely passionate about helping to increase Black home ownership. Um, I'm extremely passionate about serving my community and assisting other professionals in the space become successful. It is um, a lot of hard work. Uh, People see me and they say, oh, you've done well. You're doing great. It's wonderful. But they don't see that I'm up at 4 a.m. and I'm in bed by 9 and I have a regimented schedule. And there's lots of days that I am feeling a bit discouraged. And there are a lot of times that people hang up in my face and close the door in my face. And there are a lot of no's before I get a yes. So if you are tenacious and you really want this, you absolutely can have it and become successful. And I think that everybody's idea of success is very different. And so that's what I think I love about this business is that my business, although I sell real estate here in the state of California and I'm a broker in North Carolina as well, um, my business can look extremely different from the next real estate agent, but we both can have a fulfilled journey in this business. And that's what I absolutely love about it because my needs may not be your needs. I do have six children. Not everybody has six children. So my expenses <laughs> are going to look different. Like- are going to look quite different from someone that may have two children and a dog, or maybe it's just them, you know? Um, And so I I would say that um, if you're interested in getting into this industry, there are schools that are at no cost to you. Keller Williams has a school called K-Score and they will allow you to enroll in their school and there is no cost for you to do so. You can go through Allied Real Estate School. That's an online program. And there's some in-person programs as well. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I know I'm a, I'm a big fan of Keller Williams and not in the sense of, you know, the, the, the work that they do. I don't know that personally. They weren't my, you know, brokers. Um, but I really love exactly what you said. I hear from everybody that I deal with that deals with them that they are some of the best. Uh, they give some of the best training opportunities for people um, starting out in the business, right? So I'm glad that you, you know, confer with that. Um, and I know in my industry, uh, we follow a lot of the marketing tools that comes from Gary Keller, which is the the CEO and owner of Keller Williams. So yes. um, it's good to hear you say that. So <clears throat> being able to just get into the course, and I like that you said that it doesn't cost, right, for a lot of situations. So you can even see if this is something for you. It may not be something for you. So learning that, right? 
Now, I met Latrice, you guys, on a panel a couple of years ago when she was a top and is still, but she was being represented as a top producer. And this was in 2022 about her work in 2021. And I don't know about you guys out there. There's a whole lot of real estate professionals, but this young lady, she closed 27 pieces of business in one year in the real estate market. That is a huge, huge, huge deal. So I'm going to ask you the questions that I had for you then at that time. What would you say to another professional already in the industry, one year in, five years in, 10 years in, but wanting to step their game up and become a top producer such as yourself? What's a, a one or two pieces of advice you would give to those current professionals? Um, don't look at what other people are doing and stay in your lane, right? Because it can you can easily get discouraged when you hear certain numbers because the average agent, I believe in the state of California, probably closes two to three pieces of business a year, maybe, right? And so it can be a bit daunting. And I would also say that um, success leaves clues, but you have to do the work. There is no shortcut to success. You know, people think like, oh, I can just go out and sell. No, it's work. You got to really invest in yourself. Um, You've got to invest in the education. You know, I have mastered my craft in terms of the residential side. I'm now venturing into the commercial space and I'm a commercial agent. And so, um, which I absolutely enjoy, but I've mastered the real, the, the residential side. And when I say that there's still always going to be new scenarios and new situations that come about, but I know how to navigate a transaction, whether I'm working with a buyer or a seller. I know my contract, like the back of my hand. I can tell you what's on the RPA. I can tell you what's on the RLA. I can tell you what advisories and addendums and disclosures need to go with which documents. That's important. There, That's not something that you can fake. We are fiduciaries for our clients. So I think it's extremely important to focus on becoming the consummate professional in the space and the success will come. It's There's this um, thing that Gary always talks about, learn before you earn. Mm-hmm. Right? Learn as much as you possibly can about the profession that you're entering into. Maybe that means you go and sit and you're, you're under mentorship. You're under coaching. Maybe you, um, you just take time and, you know, take a, uh, someone that's operating at a high level for coffee, pick their brain, ask them, like, how did you do it? What did you do? What are your trade secrets? And then you formulate your own plan, right? Those are some of the things, but I think I'm a real big fan of coaching. Coaching, I feel like cuts your time in half um, because you're learning from someone who's already done it at a very high level and they will help keep you accountable. One of my mentees in the industry, because one of my big goals for 2023 is to train up and duplicate myself in at least 100 uh, agents in the industry. And one of the, I got one of the biggest compliments I've gotten in a very long time today from her. And it was really about what you just said, which was, you just allowed me to, you know, cut 10 years out of my journey by having you with a decade plus experience and being willing to pour every single thing into me at every single minute. And she takes every single minute, but that's where the duplication process comes from. So having a mentor, I definitely, you know, see that being a a really big deal in this industry and having that person to just lean on. Absolutely. One other thing that you talked heavily about when we first uh, uh, engaged with each other was uh, one of the words, which is one of my words for this year, collaboration. So what are your thoughts on collaborating with other professionals in your industry, in the financial industry, you know, just building that uh, network around you? What, What are your thoughts on that? 
Oh, I am a big fan of collaboration over competition. 100%. Um, I love it. I think that it's absolutely necessary. I think that there is, um, an opportunity for us all to connect and, um, create synergy in the space, right? Um, when you're in a position to, to serve in the real estate industry. I'm also connected to multiple other industries, right? Just because my client's going to come to me about like, do you know someone that assists with life insurance? Do you know someone that assists with setting up a living trust? Do you know a handyman? Do you know a maintenance person? Do you know a gardener? Do you know, you know, which bank I should go to, which school? I mean, they really come to us for everything. So mm-hmm. quite naturally, it makes sense for me to align with other professionals that are providing a service at a very high level so that I know that they're going to give my clients the greatest possible experience. And I do believe that it creates synergy because when you are able to connect with other professionals, maybe they have resources that can help enhance your business and vice versa. So I think it's extremely important. One of the reasons why I fell in love with you so quickly as a professional to collaborate with was because that's what I was seeking a couple of years ago. And I'm looking right across from me and I have my, uh, um, I'm big on vision, right? So I have one of my nice frames uh posters of uh, a piece of paper that says cohesive transparency collaboration okay mm-hmm. and it it's so very valuable in this industry to know exactly what you just said i want to stay in my lane i want to give the best service that i can give but i want my people to be well rounded in their growth in their uh, financial planning, in their wealth accumulation, in their protecting, uh, you know, growing, protecting, building, all of that kind of stuff. I want to make sure that I can provide the best for my people. And it has to come from people who I have a real genuine relationship with. So that is one of the things that you and I used to hit off really, really well in our professional uh, collaboration. So I've always loved that about you. I know one thing that one of my mentors told me years ago, probably seven, eight years ago in this business was every single year, every year that you are in business, you need to make three to five genuine new business partnerships. Okay. Mm -hmm. We all prospect all the time. We're in business. That's what you do. I don't care what business you do. You're going to pay for a lot of advertisements, put all those food commercials on the TV. (laughs) It's all prospecting, right? Or you're going to door knock or you're going to do, you know, books and whatever things you want to do to put the information out there. But um, one thing that she told me was have three to five genuine relationships, professional that you build every single year. And I know a lot of us say, you know, who the older I get, the less friends I'm trying to make. <laughs> right? like, I got enough. I got my real crew from 30 years ago, all that kind of stuff. Well, what do you feel about that? Because I've taken that to heart. And the way I met you was through one of those relationships that I built six years ago. And we are genuine, you know, power partners in this financial world together. Right. Um, so I think that that's actually, when you told me that, I thought like, wow, that is amazing. She's really good. She knows what she's talking about. Um, because I think that it, there, there's a lot of truth and value in that. And I, I also think that, you know, as you get older, your circle gets smaller, but I don't think it gets smaller in, um, value. I think that it gets, um, it gets, I think it gets richer. And I think that there's more authentic relationships that you have as opposed to having a whole bunch of relationships that bring no value. You're oversaturated with people that are, you know, dimming down your light and, and, you know, taking withdrawals from your bank account as opposed to making more deposits. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I think that there is true wisdom in in identifying, you know, a couple of people every year because by the time you get, you know, 10 years in this business, now you've got a power circle of 30 people sitting at a table that can really do some make some power moves, right? Yeah. Um and so I think that there's tremendous value in being extremely intentional because that's my my word for 2020. Oh, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going <laughs> to ask. I know you have a word every year. What is it? Yes. Look at yes. that. Word. Intentional. My word is intentional. And I'm a big person on vision as well. I have my vision board right here. And it, it absolutely talks about being intentional and taking things to the next level. And so I, I think that we do that by way of relationship, whether it's in our businesses with working with our clientele or whether it's on the professional side, building those professional relationships by affiliations, different organizations, or with other power players in this space like yourself. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So we're coming to an end shortly, but I uh-huh. want to get back to bring full circle to you starting this conversation uh, uh, telling us a little bit more about you being that you have six children, a mother of six. That is wild. I had a girlfriend on here. She has 10 children. Oh, wow. On the episode about moms and money and they Uh just could not believe. I don't understand how 10, I just, I don't get it. Right. Six. I thought that about, I literally, I gasped when I heard you say that the first (laughs) time I heard you speak. Right. But what is, what it, what do you show? What is the biggest thing you you show your children about building wealth, about money, about uh that growth? What what is your focus with them in that? Um you know what? I think that my so because I have older children, yeah. I have changed as a parent over the years, right? Okay. I've kind of you know, grown up a little bit. I've uh, matured in a lot of ways and I just look at things completely different than who I was over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I've learned as a mother is that our children do what we do and not what we say. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as I really, truly identify that I had to make a conscious decision on how is it that I wanted to show up as their mother, right? What's most important? What are the nuggets that I want to leave them with? What am I showing them in my daily life? Are we talking about money? Are we having conversations about credit? Are we, um, are we really opening up the conversation about how to move financially? Because I think that, especially in African American families, we don't have the conversation enough. Mm-hmm. I think that we are, you know, when I was younger, it was like, you know, children are, they speak when spoken to. Okay. Yeah. And you're not having a conversation about how much money is coming into the house and why we're spending this on this or why we're going to the grocery store and being, you know, conscientious of where we're putting our money. We're not having those conversations with our children. Yeah. And so I wanted to change that narrative in my home and we have conversations. My six-year-old, I'll give you a little story about, um, about, well, he's seven now. I'll give you a little story about him. So he, um, my, my older son wanted to take them to McDonald's. I'm not a fan of McDonald's, but he took them to McDonald's. My older son is 23. And so big brother come over. He wants to go to McDonald's. Mm-hmm. It's his wallet at the house. Now my seven-year-old carries his wallet with him. Okay. My seven-year-old has his wallet and he says to his brother, I'll lend you the money. <laughs> I'll lend it to you. I'll let you borrow it, but you're going to have to pay me back. I'm going to tax you because you did not have your wallet with you. And I'm going to charge you interest for every day that it takes you to pay me back. So he borrowed $9 to purchase the food for his little, for his two little brothers. 
And my son was on his head and said, where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? So he ended up paying him back like three days later and he charged him. He said, you got to pay me $12 because I'm taxing you for not having your wallet and I'm charging you interest for every day that I don't have my money back. <laughs> now, my seven-year-old understands the concept of just simple, simple interest, right? Yeah. So I was not having those conversations at seven. I wasn't. I right? thought, man. We weren't talking about that. We weren't because it wasn't even something that I was aware of how credit works, where we live, how we move, where we invest. My sons are already having conversations. I want to buy, you know, multiple properties. I'm going to be an investor because the conversation in the house is different. So I think when you want to change the narrative, that's where it starts. It starts by having authentic conversations with your children about financial, um, awareness. I'm not going to say literacy, but awareness. I think it's important to be aware of your finances and teach your children as you learn sometimes, because I had to learn. I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes, but my goal is to get better. And I'm, I try to be as transparent as possible with them as well. I love it. I love it. I love it. So we have very little time, but I just want you to give one more piece of thing out there. Anything you want to say to the listeners out there, whether it's people looking to purchase a home, invest, get into the industry, the children that are listening, financial awareness, whatever, give one more nugget for everybody out there and we will end our show with that. One more nugget. Um, If you have the idea of becoming a homeowner or becoming um, or investing, then you should get the ball rolling. You should talk with the nearest professional in the space and, and really educate yourself about how to do that. Because if you don't start today, you just continue to put it off, then you're going to be in the same place that you've always been. So if you really want to do something different, you got to move differently. Procrastination is an assassination of yourself. That is what I say. You guys, this has been another episode of Smart Money Moves with your girl Helena. And I'm so excited to have been able to share with you, Miss Latrice Barge. Uh, today on this episode so make sure you check us both out on ig she is latrice barge at latrice barge l-e-t-r-i-c-e-b-a-r-g-e and then your girl helena j h-e-l-e-n-a j313 see you guys on instagram and everywhere else have a wonderful rest of your hump day guys Bye. bye thank you so much as always thank you so much for the information and it is fantastic thank you so much You are listening to the Intentional Talk Radio Network. All righty then. Thank you so much for joining us. Helena, wonderful show as always. Thank you for joining us. What is the matter?